HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. Hi, I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. So every day the shutdown continues to grow is another day that there will be a backlog. This week, we're looking at the unexpected ways the government shutdown has impacted our food system. There are nearly 1.6 million New Yorkers who rely on SNAP to feed themselves and their families every single day. There is a real impact on our friends and neighbors. A lot of farmers rely on commodity loans at the end of the year. Since the offices are not open, those loans aren't available to them. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this session of culinary travels and culinary history. You know, whether it's discovering local urban street food or getting off the main roads to discover the historical cuisine and hidden food treasures of a place is a great way to travel. In fact, according to Severe Magazine, culinary travel is one of the fastest-growing travel trends today. By combining travel and unique eating and even cooking experiences, culinary tourism offers an authentic taste of place and an understanding of the culture. Elizabeth Minkeely shares her philosophy and tips with us today for seeking out some of the historical food experiences which serve to preserve the ways of life and traditions that might otherwise fade away. Elizabeth has written about food, style, architecture, and so much more from her home in Italy for the past 25 years. Her website is Elizabeth Minkili, M-I-N-C-H-I-L-L-I, Minkili, ElizabethMinkili.com. And Elizabeth in Rome, Elizabeth Minkili in Rome, and she has travel. You saw the travel apps, Elizabeth? I do. I still have the travel apps. She has travel apps. She has guidebooks. She has um, cookbooks, so much. And we're going to be talking about all of that. She won a Severe Blog Award for her best culinary coverage and an Italy Magazine Best Food Blog Award and was named the Culture Trip Local Favorite. 
as all the eight books, I think it's eight books. Oh, no, now nine, nine, nine now nine, nine. books, um, including one of her recent ones, Eating My Way Through Italy, which we're going to be using as a reference guide, actually, today for our talk. She's also the founder of her Italy app, the Italy app, right? And her articles have appeared all over the place. And, and I'm sure that if you Google her, you will you will read more than you expected because it's it's a lot of material. Um, and Elizabeth is here with her daughter, Sophie. Hi. And Sophie has, uh, after she finished school, and I'm sure she traveled around a bit, she decided to live, she grew up in Rome, and she decided to move back to Rome and join her mom in doing some of this culinary travel. So Elizabeth, tell me a little bit about, you are in New York today from Rome to um, to join up with the, you're speaking at the New York Times Travel Show, a big conference at the Javits Center, and you're going to be talking on sustainable culinary travel. Tell me a little bit about what you mean by sustainable culinary travel. Well, there's been a lot of talk lately, I'm sure, if you've opened any newspaper or magazine about how crowded city centers are becoming. You know, everybody's traveling to the same places at the same time. And, you know, Rome is beautiful, Florence is beautiful, but it gets to be a traffic jam. Uh, terrible. And terribly I, crowded. And I think that when we talk about culinary travel, obviously you want to go to restaurants, but you also want to find out where that food is coming from. And whether that means, you know, going behind the scenes at a butcher or searching out a butcher in like a small, small end of the road in Puglia. You know, if, if you're following your appetite and you're following certain dishes and traditions and the history of food itself, you're more likely to have uh, less of an of a impact on the local culture but find out more of it yourself. So it's sustainable in that you're going and you're discovering lost traditions, you're help supporting an economy that may be in danger of dying out, and you're also eating well. So, I mean, yeah, there's yeah, that. That's, <laughs> that's the treat at the, <laughs> at the end of the travel. Um, you know, it's not for everyone, and but those but who doesn't love to eat and it's one of the best ways to find out about a culture i think is going through food no i think Honestly. it is too and i think it's a nice way to sort of push your own boundaries yeah you know i mean it's very easy to read about the coliseum or the pantheon um but then there's a you know the history of rome for instance you know eating awful eating innards and uh in fact we i have a tour coming up in march uh, we're uh, with Melissa Clark, where we're just exploring that theme of nose to tail cooking. We eat a lot of intestines and uh, uh, we, we eat a lot of intestines kidneys and, and kidneys <laughs> and liver, but but we also eat you know regular meat as well and how it integrates with with vegetables like artichokes. But it's such an integral part of Roman history that a lot of people don't know about, and even Romans themselves, you know, for a while it was dying out. So if you come to Rome and you decide, okay, I'm going to find about, about nose to tail cooking, you're finding out something new about mm-hmm. Rome mm-hmm. that you had. To didn't know before. You're supporting a local economy, the few butchers that still deal in that. And um, and I think you're taking home an experience that you might not have gotten otherwise. Absolutely. And meeting people who aren't living in the city centers, so they're not in that urban rush of... of well, the, the, the big cities are all so modernized. It's almost like they've taken away... They kind of stripped a lot of the culture away from them, or the the regional differences away from them. Yeah, they become homogenized. I mean, right. there's a main, you know, the main street in Florence, the main street in Rome, the main street, you know, in Los Angeles. I mean, they're all starting to right. look the same. And so, if you really wanted to get, you know, I don't, want, I hate to use the word authentic, but a place where people are still living their everyday lives. Um, I think, you know, uh, if you end up talking to the butcher, <laughs> the baker. And, you know, and, and, and these people who are still making food in the time tradition way, 
it'll take you outside of the city center, it, you know, naturally. You right. almost don't have to try. You just right. sort of follow Google Maps and you end up there. And I think that, that that's really ends up being you know, back to sustainable. It's a sustainable way of travel. I know that even here in New York City, there are so many tours, walking tours, food tours, architecture tours, um, uh, you know, uh, neighborhood history tours. Uh, There's something for everyone, it seems. And this is true for wherever you decide to travel. I think you can, you know, where it's a... It's a great way to get to know the lay of the land of a city, too. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, I, we as a family did one of the first real, we're not a tour-doing family, and but we decided when we were in Istanbul, and this was, I'm talking about eight years ago, we decided the one tour we were going to do was a, was a food tour. And so we knew the main sites to visit in Istanbul, but the tour we went on still, you know, remains, the food tour still remains one of the top experiences that we ever had. Hmm. And this was uh, Culinary Backstreets. And we ended up seeing a side, I'm getting shivers now just talking about it, because we ended up going to places we would never have gone on our own. I mean, tasting things we would never have tasted, but learning about a culture. And, and there were points in the tour where we didn't feel 100% comfortable. You know, it was a neighborhood we maybe shouldn't have even been in, right, you know? Right. Um, but we were perfectly safe. But that was part of it. We, we, you know, experienced something that has remained with us to this day. Yeah, I, know, I always love following your suggestions and, and other guys' suggestions um, about... Even if it's, I don't have the time to just a restaurant in a city, because exactly as you said, it'll take me to a neighborhood I might not otherwise go to, and, and I learn something new. Well, Sophie, do you find, what about, we'll talk about the, the age groups of people who primarily follow these things. Do you find that a lot of young people are after these experiences? Um, I feel like young people are a bit more adventurous, and they don't have as much money as maybe the older crowd, so they will venture off on their own in a market in the middle of nowhere. Um, So I would say my crowd is older, but all my friends, my age group, all have a huge interest in food, and those are the people I talk with about food and experience food. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Because I know when I talk to a lot of my friends, um, okay, so maybe a particular group of friends were a little more seasoned travelers. And after, as you said, after you go to these crowded cities, no matter where you, whether it's, you know, in Spain or, as you mentioned, Istanbul, or um, that you, you kind of feel like you get, sh- you know, sort of shifted over into the tourist trap. And we all look at each other and go, ah, we want to go someplace that, as you mentioned, we'd hate to use the word authentic. It's become like the, the buzzwords. Well, you, you want to go somewhere where you're not going to run into your neighbor from New York. Exactly. <laughs> you exactly. know, I mean, this is, this is the dream of everybody is you find that one little, and it used to be, you know, 20 years ago, you could be in Rome and stumble on that trattoria where nobody was. That's not the case anymore. Right. You know, everything's known. But if you do go to, say, you know, Salento, and Sophie spends a lot of time in way in the south in Puglia, in this small little village where there's almost nothing. And, you know, there she's, you know, hanging out with her friends with the butcher or the guy that's making the mozzarella. And we like to take people there as well or, or send them there. Or they find out about it by following our Instagram accounts. Well, that's what, I, that's what I wanted to get to is, is that there, you know, travel blogs or just even blogs, you know, by, in food, whether it's cooking or um, food travel or anything, people end up writing about their travels or writing about or wherever it is they live. It's funny you can find, you know, a, a girl in, in Italy, a girl in Spain, you know, or as you said, on Instagram accounts or following reputable 
food bloggers and food writers on the internet, I think this has just expanded our well, horizons. Well, the big, the big change I've seen since I started my blog 10 years ago is that uh, nobody really reads blogs anymore. Um, but, and, you know, people are going to social media. and, and They even, listen to podcasts. They, well, that's different. <laughs> that a podcast is completely different than yeah. a static blog. Yeah. Everybody listens to, blog, to podcasts. Um, but in terms of social media, um, you know... You've, Instagram is huge, but but even bigger than Instagram itself is stories. And Mm -hmm. the stories aspect, I find that you have an immediacy where people, you know, for instance, wake up here in America and they see my stories from the day before because of the time difference. And they feel like they are living, they're right there with me at the table. They're right there with me at the goat farm. And because it's unedited and because it's it's just right there in your face that you get, on the one hand, uh, a view into it, but then it also inspires you to follow maybe if my lead or to to plan a trip like that yourself. Yeah, and you can even post videos up on there. This is the Instagram stories, in case you missed that that lead-in, but I haven't quite figured it out and all that well, but I... uh, um, and it's frustrating because you can't respond to them. But yes, you can. <laughs> can you? Oh, okay. Um, I, I'll have you teach me. No, that no. I mean, show. but it's 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 my biggest platform right now. Like really? much bigger, much bigger. Yeah, mm-hmm. much. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 very, it's it's very powerful. And for us, both of us, I think it's very fulfilling because there is an immediate response. It, it's it's and it is quick and and it's the quick and dirty when you want to find out something about you know oh maybe this person knows about barcelona or you know maybe this person knows something about and it's very easily searchable you know you're going to barcelona you can go on to the stories and you can start following everybody who's in barcelona right that minute i will have you show me some tips on the (laughs) miss social media over there how about you sophie are you uh are you are you teaching her or is she teaching you actually she taught me everything I, I knew that from past. I, yeah, it was a bit a, slow, but I got it now. <laughs> okay, good. I I still remark you last time. I think one of the last times you were in on our uh, show, um, we sat and had lunch here at Roberta's restaurant in Brooklyn, uh, and they I don't know, they brought something to the table, and we were with a couple other um, guests and. And I said, oh, I'll take a picture of everybody and the desserts at the table. But I couldn't because everybody had their phones <laughs> over the desserts <laughs> taking pictures. of. So I took a picture of the phones taking pictures mm-hmm. of the desserts. Yeah, But you are definitely Miss Social Media. You're great at it. I mean, it has been, it's been wonderful for you. Well, it's fun. You, right? And I actually learn a lot, too, you know, because a lot of the people who follow me suggest restaurants. Oh. In turn, and you know, they see I'm in a small town in Umbria, and they say, "Oh, do you know is this so- place so and so?" And and I said, "No, I don't." You know, and, and and it's back and forth, and it's 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 really it's a really nice resource. So, as far as somebody who runs a tour, and we're going to talk about what it is specifically you do, but someone who runs a tour, you, um, I mean, you you change it all the time because you get these recommendations, and you. Go well, to new places. Well, we and shake cha- it up. we change it all the time. We do so. We do day tours in Rome, but we do these week long tours, and that's where I partner with Sophie. And it's truly a partnership because we really talk a lot about our itinerary. And in the end of the day, it's what we want to do. And, and we figure if we like doing things enough, and we like eating certain things, that our guests will like it as well. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if, and if and if your guests see that you're enjoying it and having fun, yeah. how are they going to not you know want to do it? And you give cooking, you give little cooking instructions, not little, you give marketing and cooking instructions. I think the marketing is is terrific because people get to see where the locals buy their food. Exactly. And, 
Right. And also, you know, we have conversations with the people in the market. Sophie especially has very, uh, very tight relationships with the people who are selling the food. And they're often giving you recipes. And I mean, Always. Markets are the best places to get recipes. But I would say markets are a big part of my day tours in Rome and our week-long tours. They and so, and so, and people then you buy, and then I notice they come back and they cook it at your um, yes, apartment we have, or another location. No, we have, we have a, a kitchen yeah, we have, location. We have a kitchen location in uh -huh. Rome. We cook it there, and we also do tastings in the market. I mean, because we have, because often as a tourist, you know, you're there in the market and you're just looking and you're taking pictures, and obviously you're annoying the people who are selling the vegetables. But when you go with Sophie or me, especially Sophie, who who they love. And, you know, they always, even when Sophie's there alone without, without clients, you know, she, they're constantly putting food just in your mouth. <laughs> they're constantly feeding her, you know, whatever it is. I mean, just weird. And, you know, you're always eating, like, raw things. Always. And, always. <laughs> and, and. Well, all of this talk about social media and following somebody on, on their, well, blog. And, and some people do, do still read blogs. I mean, yeah, a lot of them, I think. But, yes, Instagram has taken over, taken over everything. But... Is this a way, because my question is, how would somebody who's going on a trip decide, you know, who, whether what, whatever country it is or whatever, whatever city and, you know, anywhere, decide how to choose who to follow? Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a very good question. And I think, you know, obviously you start with Google and you're looking at, at people and what they're... And, what their platform is mm -hmm. and and you know when platform can be a blog platform can be facebook platform can be instagram it can be books or it can be everything and i think that once you're uh trying to you know, decide you're going to a place um you sort of start to get a feel i mean you you see like for instance rome and like my name comes up, Katie Parla's names come up, come up. You know, we all know each other, and and you sort of start reading what we've written, and um, and then you sort of, you can do the same for Paris, you can do the same, you know, for for Barcelona, and I, I think you have to use your better judgment. And and a lot of times I tell people people go to TripAdvisor or one of these other sites, and and those reviews are often written by tourists. So I think what you're trying to do is get somebody who lives in a certain place. Right. And you can read about them. And, and, and really, do, I think that if you go to their social media accounts and see, see what they're posting, if they're posting really delicious, you know, images of food that look good to you, that's a good starting point. Or, interest, or you know, the interesting historical aspects of finding out how someone who still lives in the same little town and Sophie, you probably run into this all the time, you know, the same little town making the same thing that their great grandmother made, you know, um, that will appeal to the person who's going after the food, maybe the more of the food history aspect of it. matching personalities is, is a difficult thing because you don't really know the people, but I guess getting recommendations from friends who have been on the tours, um, Oh, you mean for how do you how do you decide what kind of food you're tour to choose. go to? Yeah, who you're going to um, choose? Well, those are, then there are reviews, obviously, right. and you can look at people's reviews and and see where they've been written up in magazines if that's true. Um, you know, and also price point is a good indicator. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you see if you see a tour and it seems like you know it's very very inexpensive, you usually get what you pay for. <laughs> You know, you have to find out, obviously, what your budget is. But then within that budget, if it, if it seems like, oh, my God, this is a great deal. You know, it's only $10 and we get, you know, to, to, to taste 20 things. Well, you know, buyer beware. That's, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Good point. Um, it is uh, helpful to somebody I mean, like you having 
books, and books are still very important guidebooks, whether you take them with you, if you just read them before you, which I recommend, read them before you go on, on trips, um, you get a sense of the person's writing. And you, I know, in your books particularly, I enjoy, you'll have a, a, a theme going and a philosophy going. You'll say, well, if you want the new modern thing or if you want something that try to capture, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, the old, you know, mom and pop trotteria uh, experience. I mean, you really do identify for people what it is you're laying out for them. And well, I, when I write, I, I, first of all, I'm not a restaurant reviewer. I never review a restaurant. What I'm doing more is part reporting, part diary. So I'm telling you what I'm doing every day, whether it's eating or cooking or shopping. And um, I people tell me that my writing is very conversational. They feel it like is. they feel like they're talking to me, and that's I guess. I, I could say it's intentional, but it's just the way that I write, and it's the kind of writing that I like to read as well mm-hmm. from other writers who do it as, do it, you know, very well as uh, too. And so people have to decide. You know, I'm I'm not my um, my list of restaurants are not exhaustive. They're only where I feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to have a place where you you know it opens at one a.m. where you can go have a cocktail because that's not what I do. You know what I do is I go to the place you know that still has the waiter with the you know the white shirt and the black pants where he's been a waiter for the last thirty years and he makes the best you know serves the best cacio e pepe or or you know other classic dishes and so those are the kind of places I like. So people you know they have to like what I like. Yeah. Um, and if and if you do then then you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. To you know, Google the where you're going and and see what comes up. And um, even on TripAdvisor, I, I'm not fond of just reading a a tourist's review. But the names of the places come up, and then you can search those names, right? Exactly, and, and exactly. find out. It depends but one, where but you're once, going. But once, yeah, once you do find a place, whether it's a restaurant or, but more with a tour. If you if there's a tour company, you can go read their reviews on TripAdvisor, and right. obviously they're going to be very honest. And those are always going to be tourists, so it's a very useful tool yeah. for them. I get to know. Gee, is this the same person? That I do I do I feel similar to this person and you know my travels. After all, you're on you're on vacation. You're on a trip. You're you're traveling. You want to have fun. But you, you should know. but you should plan ahead. And yes. and you know also when we have these week in Italy tours, Sophie and I make sure that we send a copy of my book to them way before, yeah. <laughs> so that they can get a sense of of what they want to do on the tour as right. well. Well, we're going to talk more specifically about what it is you do when we come back after a brief break. So stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and their rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Ooh, 
Hi, we're back, and I'm speaking with Elizabeth Minkeely and her daughter Sophie, and we're talking about um, culinary travel, and particularly sustainable culinary travel, where you kind of get off the main roads um, and and check out some things that you wouldn't ordinarily see, especially if you're like me, you want to capture a little bit of the historical food traditions that exist in different countries. And Sophie and Elizabeth do this um, primarily in Rome and in other parts of, of Italy, um, so we can get the specifics from them. But there are culinary tours that exist all over the world, and you just have to, to do a little preparation and do a little background searching. And Sophie, you get out of Rome a lot, and you go to you take do. people to different places. Tell yes. us about that. So I've started taking people down in the south of Italy to a region called Puglia, which is actually the heel of the boot. And I'd been going there since I was a little kid because my dad's actually from there. And he's from the main town, which is called Bari. But I decided as a teenager I would spend my summers at the beach down in the very southern tip, yes. (laughs) And one summer I actually met this butcher from a tiny, tiny town in the middle of nowhere in Puglia. And it's an area of Puglia called Salento, which has the best beaches in Italy, by the way. Um, And he introduced me to this way of living in these tiny towns in Puglia. And I learned all of this stuff about food and I met all these producers, butchers, farmers, cheesemakers... And so I thought, great, I can start bringing clients down here. And I, it's amazing stuff, and it's completely different than what you eat in Bari, which is the biggest town, completely different than what you eat in Rome. And it's just always a new discovery, and people have been loving it, so it's been great. Oh, that's exciting. That's great. Um, and, Sophie, I didn't, I didn't mention your... Um, is your last name Minkeely as well? It is. Okay. I wanted to get that straight. <laughs> yes. so, you know. uh, but you are, so if they wanted to contact you, they would contact you through? Through, a lot of people contact me through my Instagram, which is sminkeely, or my email, sophieminkeely at gmail.com. Okay. And Elizabeth, you're, um, you started out writing a lot of travel apps. Well, not started out, but you started out writing garden and architecture books. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> writing design. Yes, and right. Um, but when you got into the food travel, because then you got married and, and ended up, well, you were in Italy for a I long time at, with your family. With but, my family. Yeah. And, and then I, once I sort of left academia, I started writing for magazines. And then I was writing about design and travel and always food. And once I made that shift to digital, so I had my blog, you're right, I started not only the blog, but my Eat Italy apps. And yeah. those have kept going, and they're still very successful. Eat Italy, you, went, you did Florence, you did There's Venice. Florence, Venice, Rome, Puglia, Umbria, Naples I've just added. I'm adding Sicily, I'm adding the Amalfi Coast, um, Torino I have, Milan. And uh, some of them are free, some of them you have to pay for. And no, they're, and also they're for Android and for, for iPhones. iPhones and, yeah, yeah, smartphones. Excellent. Um, tell us a little bit, if somebody joins up with one of your tours in Rome, do you have specific ones that you highlight or is... Is it what you feel like doing? Well, no, that no. Month? We we have our we have our set tours that we do, and mm-hmm. one one focus. They always focus on a market, whether it's the market Campo di Fiori, Trastevere, or Testaccio. And Sophie handles a lot of the day tours, and I do a limited amount of the day tours because of my travel schedule, but also because we're now focusing on week long tours. And the week long tours uh, are six nights, and they take place in Rome or Umbria or Puglia. And so we've got, uh, I think, eight of the week-long tours planned for, for this year. 
Mm-hmm. And um, and so people, you know, they're all very set. And, and we, 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 we try and make our tours a bit of everything, whether it's a day-long tour or a week-long tour where we're, you know, we're obviously eating the whole time and drinking. Um, but we're visiting the people who are producing the food. We're people, visiting people who are selling food, preparing it. And we try and give a global uh, context to it. Because for us, the food is never just about the food. It's about where the food is happening. And so, where they are. Where, and you know, where they are. If you happen are. to be next to the Coliseum, then you're, you're seeing the Coliseum. Exactly. Right? And that, well, if you're, if you're in Rome, that has to do, you know, yes, of course, of context and, and design. So my background in architecture and design is always informing uh, what we're putting in our mouth. There's always context, and I think that's very important. And that's often the thing that's missing in a lot of uh, guidebooks for food or cookbooks. You know, you have a recipe, you have a list of ingredients, you can make it, you can reproduce it, but how is that dish actually eaten? What's the utensils used in Italy? What time of year is it eaten? And those are the things that we like to help. That's the thing I try to explain in my books, and that's the thing that we try and have our guests experience when they're with us. Absolutely. I mean, that's you figure six days... That's a pretty intensive tour. And obviously, it's not just, you know, oh, I don't want to go on a food. I'm just looking about food. Well, obviously, they're not looking just at food and not just tasting food. They're, as you said, experiencing the place. It's all in context. Right? It's always a starting point for a much deeper conversation. You know, if, you're drink- if we're drinking wine, um, where are those grapes coming from? You know, where, who's growing them? Why? Why is this wine like that? Um, what is the family like? What is the setting like? You know, why is that church there? Why is that? You know, there's always a lot more to talk about than, than just what's on the plate or in your glass. Right. Absolutely. Um, and Sophie, you, I know you do a, um, an interesting tour, a food tour in Trastevere as well. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I do tours in Rome, and they're all divided in neighborhoods. So one of my favorite ones is Trastevere, which is the name of the river in Rome is Tevere, so it's on the other side of the river. And I actually used to go to high school right around the corner from there. I didn't really like going to school, so I would skip and go explore (laughs) the markets, drink coffee, hang out at the coffee bars. Um, And so all of these places I've been going to since I was a teenager, that is where I take my clients. And so we taste things, but we also talk with the owners of the shops, the people in the market. Every tour is completely different. Depends on the mood of the people working in the shops, and it also depends on the clients. That's uh, the best. And I know, I know the two of you um, spend a lot of time traveling around and, and eating your way through Italy, which, interestingly enough, was the, the, the last book that you wrote, Elizabeth, was Eating My Way Through Italy. Tell me, what were some of the... what? Are or were some of the different experiences? What things might people explore or discover in in getting off the back roads and getting outside the main cities? And- well, one of the things that was the most exciting for me that I wrote about in Eating My Way Through Italy was uh, it sounds like the most boring thing, but I watched some I watched people make tomato paste. <laughs> and, you know, years ago, 15 years ago, I'd seen this picture in Sicily of these women who were making tomato paste out in the sun in a courtyard. And that image stayed with me. And I decided I was, gonna, I was going to do that. And since it's something that happens only at a specific time of the year, you never know when it's going to happen. You never know if it can happen. If the weather's bad, it's not going to happen. And I made it a point to go down there. So I was on the phone every day with a woman in the middle of Sicily. He's like, no, no, no. Yes, come now. <laughs> and, you know, and I got on a plane and I went down there and I, for uh, four full days, I watched tomatoes dry in the sun. Wow. And it was the most 
amazing, amazing experience of, I think, the entire book. And, and you know, anybody can do this. You can do this. It, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And, um, you, know, I've, I, you know, I saw balsamic vinegar being made and, and, and things that are pe- sometimes people are more familiar with. Um, I went to Sardinia and I saw a woman make a type of pasta that only four women know how to make today. And, you know, getting to her, getting to her to trust me, letting me in her house, into her kitchen, and watching her do this. And then she, you know, finally made it. She handed it to me, told me where I could go to have it, you know, cooked into this special soup by this guy who grew these special lambs. And, and you know, the whole thing. And, and these are things that I made a real effort to, to try and find, but they're also things that anybody can do. And so those are the kind of experiences that not a lot of people have had, but that are available. Right. And I'm sure a lot of people, um, I know in my travels myself, of course, I'm always seeking that out. I stumble up, you know, if you stumble upon something, embrace it and, and go with it. And that's, and you really learn, as you said, you just, you find well, out some people who are doing things that you've never seen before. Well, and I think that, you know, people say, how do I find these things? How, what's the research I can do? Like for me, it was one photograph I saw hmm. and you just decide to dive deep into that and follow it to its end. And maybe you won't find anything. Maybe you won't see the tomato paste being uh, done. But at the end of the day, you've, it's the trip. It's the journey. And you've discovered things along the way and you're, you end up in a place you never knew even existed. Right. There are, um, there are different sides of that experience too. I know from visiting way back years, many years ago, visiting um, my husband's old relatives and finding places that were doing a lot of these hand producing products, growing them and then putting them out in the sun like that to, you know, drive thinking of sun dried tomatoes in particular. And, um, but then there were the young people, their grandchildren who were saying, Oh, they were just eschewed at anything that was old like that. And they wanted to modernize the town. So there's this dichotomy of, you know, well, we want what's new as well. We want to come up, you know, we want the, the fancy modern, you know. But that's changing now. And, that's and they're going something. back? Okay, yeah, tell me about that. So- Sophie and I talk about this a lot, and since obviously we're two different generations. Yeah. And, uh, you know, back when you and I are the same generation, and we saw this happening, and we saw t- towns dying out. And now it's changing a bit. And, you know, the, the friends that Sophie has, the butcher, the cheesemaker in this little town of Cutrofiano in the middle of nowhere, they're continuing this and they're trying to uh, maintain traditions and expand it. And they're, you know, they're getting hold of Instagram and they're doing Facebook and they're contacting people like us to try and get the word out there and then having us bring people down. So there's a new generation that is willing to stay where they are and maintain the traditions. So it kind of skipped a generation too there for a while. So well, they're going back to memories of their grandparents. And- yeah, and I think just because they, uh, it's obvious has to do with the growing interest in food. Yeah. I mean, that has to do with it. The people are interested in this. People are interested in, in you know, seeing mozzarella being made by hand. They're interested in seeing a goat being milked. You know, they're, they, they do want to have these, these conversations. And then like somebody like Vito, Sophie, it's also to experience, I feel like, the real Italy. When you think of Italy, you think of the old grandma making pasta. You don't <laughs> think of the modern restaurants in Rome serving weird little plates of food. Um, so, yeah, I have friends that are definitely going back to how it used to be, making their grandma's recipes, making cheese that is supposed to be in that small town, um, meats. Um, but, yeah, they are using new things like Instagram and Facebook right. to get it out there and 
try to get more clients, try to get tourism. Tourism is, is a new thing in these smaller towns in the south of Italy. I was just in the region of Basilicata, which... Beautiful. Okay. Beautiful, but nobody knows anything about it. There is absolutely no tourism. And they have some of the best... They have wa amazing white truffles there. I didn't even know that. They're everywhere. <laughs> um, and it's beautiful. There's a lot of history, culture, foods. The people love tourists. They'll literally grab you, bring you in your home. That's what happened to me. For three days, I was inside the home of this older couple, and they just taught me all they knew about their recipes and their wine and stories. It was great. Wow. That... That's an experience that not everyone can duplicate, but <laughs> but you, but, but you can. I mean, if if you're willing to go and hang out at and, the local bar in a small town in Basilicata, this will happen to you. Not That's, be in a rush with your itinerary to to get everything checked off your list, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I and I I love that. I love that that philosophy and attitude of of travel and just sort of whatever comes along, let's let's do it. You know, let's let's seek it out. I think that's great. Um, in your, um, Elizabeth, in your uh, travels and your cooking lessons, you've now decided to incorporate a lot of this and all these nice traditional ways that you found into, not even off the press yet, a <laughs> brand new book called The Italian Table. Tell me a little bit about this book, what inspired it, and what, what it's all about. It's essentially a cookbook, correct? It, it is a cookbook, and it's sort of, it's, it makes sense because, as you mentioned at the beginning of my career, I talked about, I wrote about design and architecture right. and setting. I was an art historian, and, um, and then I wrote about travel, and I wrote about also food. And in the Italian table, it's a cookbook, and we look at 12 different meals that I've actually been to. And I not only provide a menu and the recipes, I took the photographs for the book as well, um, but I talk about settings. So if we're in a, by a beach in Positano, there's the food, there's the menu, but then what about the plates? The plates are from Vietri. They're hand-painted. How long have those plates been, been being made? Why are we using a certain kind of glass? What's in that glass? Why do they put lemon in or peaches in the wine in Positano what's the deal with that um I talk about the history of the food so yes we're having you know pasta with zucchini um why are we having that instead of pasta with clams you know and because we're talking about seasonality we're talking about affordability we're talking about economics and so it's a beautiful I mean I literally just picked up this copy five <laughs> minutes ago it's, it's it'll be published by Rizzoli in March and um it's a beautiful book, but it's also full of uh, cultural context, which for me is paramount, mm -hmm. you know, because the question that Sophie and I get more often than not is, uh, how can you eat all that and, you know, be in shape still? And so we want to really, I really wanted to show how people are eating, you know, that Maybe in Emilia-Romagna, they have this huge lunch, but only on Sundays. You know, the rest of the week, they're not eating like that. So these are different meals and different ways of people actually eating as it happens. And, and then with my advice also, I, I sort of explain how you can recreate this in your own home. So I have not only, you know, the recipes, but how you set the table, you know, to recreate that feeling of, you know, standing up, eating a slice of pizza in Rome. You know, how, how, do, how is that eaten? How is it served? And... And so it's a lot of uh, the the cultural context as well. Excellent. I, I just you I know you just were so excited you took it out of the bag and I haven't had a chance to really leaf through it yet, but I will definitely get a hold of that after the show and look at it. And so it's coming out in March. It's coming out March twelfth. Okay. The Italian table. The Italian table creating uh, festive meals for family and friends. 
Excellent. published by Rizzoli. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'll be doing a book tour from mid-April through mid-May. And I'll be visiting a lot of places. And <laughs> discovering new foods, I'm sure. And I promised myself that I wasn't going to talk just about Italy, but I can't help it. <laughs> well, obviously, Italy is your specialty, but you're also a great font of knowledge for food tours and, and for people. And they can apply that to any country they're going to. Well, that's what my feeling is, especially with Eating My Way Through Italy. It's, it's a way of building a tour. So, no, I mean, yes, I, I'm in Italy, and I'm eating my way through Italy, but you can eat your way through France, and you can eat your way through Spain. You can. Sophie just finished eating her way through, through Colombia last week. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, we, we, we travel a lot uh, to other countries, and I think this is just a philosophy. So it's, yes, you can take it as a guidebook, but I prefer, much prefer people to read it as a way of traveling. Right. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm getting hungry, and I'm getting the urge to travel, so... <laughs> You've you really have inspired me, and even here. I mean, as I say, I don't even have to leave home because there are so many tours here in you know where I live where I can just discover new things and um, take walking tours. Well, that's the thing too; people can eat those big meals because if they're on your tour, they're walking. We're making them walk a lot. Yes. (laughs) The problem is, is when you get home from those tours the next week, that you have to just shut off that appetite. That's that's the problem. I have (laughs) to say, though, you know, you'd think that. People lose weight on our tours because we are so physically active. I mean, the places we go, we do walk a lot. So, and you don't you don't really eat well. You do your taste. I was saying not eat in between meals, but you do taste at the markets. Yeah, (laughs) never mind. We We eat all the time. (laughs) Well, obviously, you work them out, right? That's great. Well, good luck at the travel show this weekend in New York City, and. Definitely look for Elizabeth's apps, the the Eat Eat Italy, Eat Italy, and um, her books. She's eating through Rome and eating my way through Italy, and the Italian the table. new Italian table. You'll find that in March. And Sophie, I look forward to whatever other countries you might be writing about with all your uh, eating your way through different different countries lately. So that's exciting too. It's a family tradition that you've started here. It's wonderful. I'm very happy about it. Yeah. Yes. And see, we've set a tradition. There you go. You've set a tradition. And that right goes in the theme with what you're telling people to do too. So I thank you so much for joining me here thank on you, A Taste Lisa. of the Past. And I thank you for listening. And don't forget to tune into A Taste of the Past anytime at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, you know, Heritage Radio Network, who records our shows, we are a listener-supported radio network and donor sponsor only and a a not-for-profit organization. So check in at the website, heritageradionetwork.org, and click the beating heart in the upper right-hand corner and consider donating. We are just launching our 10th year of doing these podcasts, and we hope that you'll consider becoming a member. Thanks for listening. A Taste of the Past is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.